Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world. Actually, we do have quite a contingency following us in Ireland. And actually, well, this is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. And uh, I am always excited to be with you for another edition of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And I just mentioned that we have quite a few people actually following us from Ireland, which really should not be a surprise because Ireland really has one of the strongest economies in the world now because they're employing libertarian values of, uh, you know, diligence and responsibility, a lot less government and regulation, and uh, they're thriving. So uh, that's just one of the lessons. But if you haven't ever traveled to Ireland, you're missing out. You'll see more colors of green than you've ever had before. But as you will be discovering, spending an hour with us each Friday morning at 10 o'clock Eastern or 7 o'clock Pacific, uh, we really do take some of the issues of our day, many of which are really not being discussed by the so-called leaders, and provide a kind of in-depth analysis showing how we can apply libertarian values and approaches such that people everywhere will all rise together, frequently, of course, and beneficially, at the expense of many powerful and established interests. So what is our subject today? Well, we're going to talk about we say libertarian, but really, what is the Libertarian Party? What are their values? What do they do? What are their approaches? And we have the 19th chair of the Libertarian Party, a fellow, a good friend of mine named Nick Sarwark from from Phoenix, and uh, he is really the boots on the ground for the Libertarian Party. But I view, and I've said this before in our po program, but it bears repeating that Thomas Jefferson, in my view, is just a prototype libertarian. Uh, he said, quoted, I don't care if you've uh, worship one God, 20 gods, or no God, it doesn't pick my pocket and it doesn't break my leg. And that's pretty much it. To live and let live, you can say, don't tread on me. I think libertarians would say, don't tread on anybody. Um, and this would result in a lot fewer wars, a lot more responsibility, and a lot more money in everyone's pocket, including the government's, but uh, the government would need far less. One more thought, and then we'll switch over to Nick Sarwark, is I've quoted this a lot, and I will continue to. Uh, Henry Ford, not my favorite person in the world socially, but said something that everybody should understand and, and discuss and keep foremost in their thoughts, which was, anyone that feels they can thrive by relying on the government should talk to the American Indian. And that's really an important concept because, yes, we care about people, we want them to thrive, we want them to all rise together, but they will do it a lot more by rolling up their sleeves and being industrious and being able to benefit from their own activities. So I, and this is Judge Jim Gray only, we'll talk, about, we'll talk and see what Nick says, but I would have a safety net program, and I've discussed this before as well, so below which no one in our country uh, who is a citizen or green card would be able to fall, but otherwise have an incentive to earn the extra dollar and then get away from all of this other bureaucracy and welfare and all these things that are so administrative 
demonstratively complex uh, and and really unfair many times and, and just get to the free enterprise system a lot more with that safety net. So who is this Nick Sarwark? I can tell you from personal experience as the 19th chair of the Libertarian National uh, Convention uh, or National Committee, uh, he is grounded, uh, he's principled, and he's effective. I can also say you don't want to mess, mess with him, but uh, he was raised in the Phoenix area, as I understand it, went to Columbia Union College and then American University, Washington uh, College of Law. So he was an attorney, a deputy public defender, actually in Colorado, and was the vice chair, as I understand it, at that time of the Libertarian Party in Colorado, but returned to Phoenix in, I think it was 2014, to join his family's independent car dealership. So this fellow knows business at a personal level. Uh, he is now the vice president of that car dealership, uh, probably because his, he's married and probably his wife is president, but we'll ask that as well. Ran for mayor of Phoenix in 2018. We'll cost him a little bit about that experience and is a second generation member of the Libertarian Party. I believe that his father was a member as well. Is married, as I said, to Valerie and has four children. He is a principled fellow, boots on the ground. Nick Sarwark, welcome to All Rise. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on, Judge Gray. Did I get your background pretty much correctly? You did. You did. And thank you for that. It's been a long trip. <laughs> well, indeed so. Uh, well, I don't even remember when I was 39, although Jack Benny used to be 39 for a long time, but I think that's pretty much your age. So the Libertarian Party is, is older than you are. Uh, let me just give a little more about your background and tell us, Nick, how you did become a member of the Libertarian Party and why. Yeah, um, I actually am the first chair who is uh, younger than the party, um, which all parties get to eventually. So I found out about libertarianism um, kind of by accident. I was uh, going to a Maricopa County meeting with my father, uh, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, and we got back home, and there were some interesting people at the meeting, and he had a book on his shelf called Libertarianism in One Lesson by... Uh, the late David Berglund. And I read it. It's a really short book. Just kind of went through the basics of what a libertarian is, you know, the idea of not interfering in other people's lives unless they're hurting somebody or stealing from them. And I thought that makes sense to me. And uh, I haven't ever been anything else since then. And it's given me a little bit different perspective from some of our members that have come from either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. There's just a different way of looking at the world if this is what has always been home to you. Nick, I also read uh, and loved David Berglund and read his Libertarian in, in one lesson. In fact, I'm looking at it when I'm sitting in my study right now. Uh, my, my journey was different. I was a lifelong Republican, actually ran for Congress as a Republican in 1998, but uh, the the so-called Patriot Act just did me in. I could not belong to any group that would condone, much less assist, this direct frontal attack on our civil liberties. So it took me, as I still recall, about 13 seconds to decide, hey, I really am a libertarian and, and then I will be for life. So you did run for the chair of the Libertarian National Committee. Uh, what made you decide to do that? You know, what I saw in 2014 when I first ran for chair was uh, an overall sense of libertarian as an idea and a movement and a brand and just a way of looking at the world was growing at an incredible pace. And the Libertarian Party, the political arm, 
of the libertarian movement wasn't growing as fast as the rest of it. And I thought, you know, I'm at a time in my life, I've, I've had five years of law practice, I've, you know, family, kids. This is a point where I need to step up and try and make a change. Um, you know, if you think you can do better in life, go for it. And it's the only way you'll ever find out, and you'll always regret if you don't try. And as I'm in my third term now, you know, we've made some real strides. We, we had 50 state ballot access in 2016, uh, which we hadn't had for a very long time. And that brought us to that next level. Uh, we still have challenges. It's hard to get people engaged in politics when it's so toxic right now. People want to just ignore it. And I, I think our challenge now is to show people that there's a kind of politics that is healthy and good for our society. And you can engage in that without getting into the mud with these competing populisms that are being sold by the two old parties. Well, that's certainly true. And in fact, when I ran for vice president, I was proud to as a, as a libertarian in 2012, I kept saying that Governor Gary Johnson and I, if elected, would, would put in a, a, a party, a, a amalgamized uh, group, such that it'd be a coalition government made up of certainly libertarians, but also Republicans and Democrats and others, as long as they had our values of limited, more limited government, responsibility, and, and uh, live and let live. So, And you have a volunteer position, as I understand it, as the chair, do you not? I do. Uh, we are the only of the national political parties that does not um, have a, the chair as a full-time job, as a compensated salaried position. Uh, that, I think that comes a lot from our ethos of being grassroots and pushing back against the establishment from the founding, where it was uh, a pushback on what the Nixon administration had been doing. And, you know, I think the delegates at convention may want to get past that because, you know, there's only so much time in the day and a volunteer position can't have as much time put into it as a full-time position. But um, we've managed to do some really incredible things uh, in spite of it. Well, Nick, on behalf of all libertarians and really all of the people of our country, I want to, to call you out and thank you pretty much. I travel somewhat for the Libertarian Party. I can't think of a place that I've gone that, oops, there's Nick Sarwak. You must be doing, <laughs> spending a great deal of your time and money uh, doing all of this. So publicly, we acknowledge you and we thank you. Thank you so much, Jim, and thank you for all the work that you've done over the years. Um, you know, I, I've always been impressed at your ability to continue to, to keep up the fight, to keep getting out there into the world and sharing these ideas and not getting discouraged, being that happy warrior that we need uh, in this movement if we want to have success. And, and thank you for that, too. Nick, I, I think one of the worst things that can happen to a person is to be on their deathbed and look back over their lives and thinking, I wish I would have or I wish I would not have. And you just kind of touched on that when you were saying, look, you know, I have this opportunity. I don't want to look back and think I could have helped the Libertarian Party and I didn't or whatever it happens to be. It could be save the whales. But but don't wait 
Uh, in fact, I was in the Peace Corps, and when I tell a lot of people that, oh, I always wanted to be in the Peace Corps, and my response is, well, you still could. Oh, no, I, you know, but you either want to or you don't, but, but it's, it's a calling, and it's something that's certainly really important. Obviously, you're away from your family more than you'd want to be, but, but it's really a, a great thing to do, and, and I recommend volunteer work for, for anybody or get into a line of work that you appreciate. So I gave a quick thumbnail of my view of what the libertarian values are, what the libertarian approaches are. Uh, what does the Libertarian Party stand for, Nick Sarwark, our chair, and uh, how is it different from other parties? So the Libertarian Party stands for uh, you know, maximum freedom for everybody. We want you to have as much control over your own life as humanly possible. So unless um, somebody is, is committing some sort of force or fraud on somebody else, the government shouldn't be involved in that. And that's, that's kind of our end goal. Our end goal is a peaceful world in which all human relationships are voluntary, where I persuade you, let's all put in together to, you know, go feed uh, the hungry this weekend, or let's, let's all chip in to build the library. But I don't say, you know, I could persuade you, but that would take too long. So me and my friends are just going to take the money from you and build the library, and trust me, it's a good thing. Don't worry about it. You know, don't, don't get too caught up in the fact that it required me to take something from you to do that. And that's a long trip in our society because political economy and the two old parties are basically fighting over the same thing. They want to be in charge so that they can take your money and give it to the right people, their friends, their cronies, their, their corporate donors, and they want to make sure that you're very afraid that the other guy isn't going to get in because he would take your money and give it to the wrong people. And that's what it devolves into, is fighting over how they can divvy up money that's taken from you, the taxpayer. The Libertarian Party is the only political party in the country that is pursuing this mission of taking less from you and taking government barriers out of the way of your success. We don't want the power. We want to change the structure of our society. So more things are voluntary. More things are competitive. More things are open to innovation. And fewer things are done by the government. Basically, you know, to put it in the shortest possible terms, we want the government to do less and do it better. I, I tell people, and I know you're on to this, uh, one of the truly biggest issues facing our country today, which is misunderstood, is education. And if you could bring competition, I would say, not into, but back into into education, it would start seeing excellence. And where we have had school choice or vouchers or scholarships or whatever you're going to call them, uh, they do better. And there's places like Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Indiana and now increasingly in Florida and around the, the country uh, that are doing this. In fact, I had uh, uh, Robert Enlow, who is the now current the chair of the Ed Choice, uh, Milton Friedman's group uh, on our show a, a while ago. And, you know, that is what the libertarian approach would be. 
We had far better education in our public schools before the Carter administration put in the Department of Education than we do now. We have a lot more bureaucracy. We're spending a lot more money, but the quality is not nearly as good. So these are things that we just need to get out there. And why the ACLU and and various other groups for minorities particularly are not just beating the drum for school choice is really beyond me. So we have failed in getting that word out. And in fact, I'll go so far, Nick, as saying that the Libertarian Party has made a big mistake and has failed in one really large way. We have allowed other people to brand us. And so when you say the word libertarian, a lot of people's reaction is, oh, survival of the fittest. Oh, they don't want any government. Uh, they're greedy. Uh, you know, they're, they're out there just all smoking and dope. Uh, and that is not true. Uh, we stand for the little guy a lot more than any other political party and doing things that would be effective. But what is the brand that you see as the Libertarian Party now having? And where can we go? How can we make that better? Other than listening well, to me, all rise the Libertarian way with Judge Jim Gray, of course. That is a great start. Let me share just a personal anecdote with you, if I may. Um, we have four kids and we live here in Phoenix. And our three kids that are school-aged go to a public Montessori school. So it's taxpayer-funded, public as part of the Phoenix School District, but it's a Montessori school. And that kind of innovation, that kind of educational opportunity in the government system would not have existed here in Arizona if it weren't for other school choice programs increasing competition and making things better. So I don't own only agree with you that educational choice does create better alternatives. Our family is living it here, and it, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Competition makes things better. But when it comes to the branding, there are two pieces of that puzzle that I think we need to grapple with if we want the Libertarian Party to be successful. One is you go back to why it is that groups that want to help um, underprivileged people, minorities, the poor, traditionally discriminating against groups, think that we are not on their side. And that comes down to something um, that Aristotle talked about with rhetoric, is that you, in addition to the logic of the thing and the emotion, you need the ethos. You need people to know where your heart is and believe you're doing it for the right reasons. And what happens sometimes is people are acting in a way to try and benefit themselves or their group, and then they wrap it in a wrapper and they call it libertarian, and it ends up damaging our brand when we say we want to do one thing, but we're really trying to do something else. People are smart, and they see through that. So we want to avoid that. That's something we can control. The other thing that is harder to control is a lot of, especially Republicans, have found out that their brand is toxic and our brand is better. And so they like to call themselves libertarian when it's convenient, and it creates some real confusion. And I think the only way we can solve that problem is when we see people trying to call themselves libertarian but doing things that are not um, consistent with the values of human liberty and dignity and the respect for all people that don't tread on anyone you talk about. We need to speak out loud and clear and make it so that everyone knows what our values are. We have to be louder. You know, it's like Jefferson said, the solution to 
bad speech is not censorship, it's more speech. So that's what we've been trying to do is get more out into the media, more out into the world with this authentic, um, don't tread on anyone kind of messaging as a way to show a contrast and say, look, this is what real libertarians talk about. They talk about helping other people in their communities. And so if you hear somebody talking about the right to be mean to somebody else or, you know, hurt somebody else, that's not what we're really about. Nick, I think an example of this is if you or anyone stands up and says, oh, we should repeal Obamacare, about 40% Mm -hmm. of the people that hear you will think, oh, you don't care about me. So I say, and and I do, I I care very much about, I was in the Peace Corps. I mean, I certainly care about people. I I would repeal Obamacare, but replace it with something else. And I would replace it with a voucher system on a sliding scale that could be used in the free market to purchase health insurance and even make co-pays. But you have to show people you care about them or, and and I'm not, we, we have not done that well enough. Otherwise, then you do come out as looking greedy, survival of the fittest. I got mine. I don't care about your getting yours. So, so these are things that we, we need to show more. We need to tell stories. Um, you, you were a judge. I was a public defender for many years. And the most persuasive thing that you can do is tell a story. It's so much more persuasive than numbers and data. And when I would talk about the Amer- Affordable Care Act, I would talk about it from the perspective of a small business owner. You know, trying to buy health insurance in that marketplace is very difficult. The plans that they were selling because of so many institutional mandates had exorbitant deductibles where a patient would have to spend $6,000 in a year before insurance would even start to kick in. And when you talk about it like that, you talk about the fact that these people who are, you know, middle class, just going to work at a car dealership, want their family to be protected, and the government makes them buy a product that isn't even useful. And that's what I've found is most persuasive to people, is when you talk not about what we want to do, we want to repeal the act, but you open up the conversation with, this is what the program that the government put in place is doing to you. These are the reasons that's not meeting the needs that we're talking about, where you want your family to be protected. And that kind of conversation opener, I think, is the key to our ideas getting accepted more and people understanding where we're coming from. Well, Nick Sarwark, again, the chair of the Libertarian Party uh, or National Committee, uh, one of my true heroes is Milton Friedman, and, and he's just a star in so many ways. And he said so many things that people should take notice of, but one, and I use this a lot, is we should judge our programs by the results, not their good intentions. And so maybe I'll, I'll acknowledge that a lot of government programs have good intentions, but they just simply don't work. They will punish the very people that they purport to want to help. And, of course, they all have their, their interest groups as well. But the minimum wage is a, is a striking example of that. And I say that it's far better for society and individuals to have 100 people, for example, working at $10 an hour than 65 people working at $15 an hour. Because, as you know, in small business, there are some people that are just not worth $15 an hour yet. But if they learn that that 
that work ethic and they show up and they're good to get along well with people, then soon they will be worth that $15. So it, it's, it's Milton Friedman yet in spades. And of course, he's the one that introduced me to school choice originally. So he is just a guiding light. Uh, and I assume that you agree with that too. Absolutely. I mean, when you have to remember, whenever the government picks a winner in a program, so in the case of the minimum wage where they say people who are at the bottom of the, the ladder should make more money, the government also has to pick a loser. That's just, you know, so basic logic. So what happens is, yeah, if you're already on the ladder, you move up five bucks from a $10 minimum wage. The problem is you knock out that bottom rung. So you have to look at both the people that you're helping and the people who will be hurt by it and analyze the policy from that perspective. And then, you know, you can at least have a real debate because there are people who want to make that choice on our behalf in government. And I think it's, it's a lot clearer for people if we make those choices clear, where it's clear that the, the person who wants to raise the minimum wage wants to benefit some people and hurt others. And then we can have a talk about that and whether that is moral and right and what we want for our society. Nick, Nick you're, you just hit on it so hard because government does pick winners and losers. Uh, or if you choose this group, like, oh, I'm going to give lots of money to Amazon to have them come to my state or my city. And I think, boy, that's a great idea. Oh, you're going to reduce taxes and you're going to give them benefits and all the rest of that? Do that for Amazon. But by the way, do it for every other business, too. Don't just choose one. Just have a policy that will affect all companies and and the rest. Uh, We have governments that are, in effect, paying people not to raise corn. Now, wait a minute. I can raise my hand. Nick, I can see your hand is up, too. I can not raise corn with the best of them. You know, pay me, too. Uh, and by the way, then that hurts the wheat farmers. And, and uh, I was on a radio broadcast quite a while ago out of uh, Iowa, and a farmer came on and said, well, Judge Gray, I'm going to talk against my own economic self-interest because I, I grow corn. But you can get more ethanol from an acre of hemp than you can an acre of corn, and the hemp will not clog your carburetor, and the corn will. No, but the government requires corn to be used for ethanol, which is, of course, a gasoline additive. And it's not my field, but the private market will figure this out right away. That They know the private market, the free enterprise system, will figure out what's the best ingredient for ethanol if, in fact, we need it, etc. So the Libertarian Party is the only party, like you're saying, like you're saying, Nick, that that does not choose winners and losers. It backs off, makes the playing field even, and everybody will thrive. And that's kind of where we're going. So we're going to come back after a couple of messages, but I would ask our listeners, and Nick, I assume that you have done this, go to the website isidewith.com, I-S-I-D-E-W-I-T-H.com, and take a very short quiz, and you'll see where you found where you land in the political spectrum. Uh, I landed kind of a left-leaning libertarian because I do believe in having a safety net. But uh, it's a really interesting exercise. It can be private. You don't have to share it with anyone unless you want to. So these are just issues that we're talking about on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. We'll be back for a more, I hope, stimulating discussion after these words. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. I welcome you as Judge Jim Gray on the Libertarian Way. Uh, We have our esteemed guest, Nick Sarwark, who is the chair of the Libertarian National Committee of the Libertarian Party, in effect. And my my wife is telling me that I should inject a little silliness in each show. So in deference to her, I will ask people the question, uh, what do you call a cow that's just given birth? I know, Nick, you probably have been worried about this, but what do you call a cow that's just given birth? And the answer is decaffeinated. So here we go, and <laughs> launching into the new section. You know, it's, it's funny, Nick, that uh, I was a trial court judge for 25 years, and uh, once I retired, somehow my sense of humor just seemed to be reduced. I, I thought the material was the same and the, the delivery was the same, but <laughs> the attorneys just weren't laughing nearly as much. I, I can't quite still figure that out, except actually when I'm an arbitrator, my sense of humor goes up again, so it, it may be connected somehow. But, but you know, the government was picking winners and losers. And, you know, we're talking about subsidies. Uh, We're talking about free trade. This sort of thing, the artificial barriers simply stifle free trade. They stifle the economy. They stifle people that are are producing such that uh, I, again, quote Milton Friedman, who was saying that, look, you get more of what you subsidize and less of what you tax. And today we're taxing success and we're subsidizing laziness and, and and entitlements and the rest. So guess which more we're getting of. So, so you're talking about subsidies earlier before the break. Uh, the Libertarian Party would, of course, get away as totally as possible from subsidies. Can you give us some examples that you're aware of, Nick Sarwark? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the ones that's been in the news in the last year is uh, Amazon was trying to move their uh, second facility somewhere and states were tripping over themselves to give away taxpayer money to get Amazon to move. And an unlikely ally, uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez from New York, 
was pushing back and said, you know, if it makes business sense for them to come here and put a factory or a warehouse here and provide jobs, they're going to do it without us giving them taxpayer money. And the state officials said, no, no, we have to give them these tax incentives or they won't come. They didn't get the incentives and they still showed up. And so what we need to do is be open to talking to people who might not look like they're going to be political allies. Some of this stuff is just common sense. If you raise tariffs on foreign countries, they raise tariffs back and you end up destroying the manufacturing sector of our economy. You, you have to talk to people about what these policies are doing to our economy and Less is always more. If you remove those barriers, if you remove those subsidies, then we as people figure out where's the best place to put my business, what's the best product for me to sell. We figure that out together voluntarily, and we don't trust somebody who, you know, getting elected means that you're a popular person. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're the person who knows how an economy should be set up or which industry is better or what the minimum wage ought to be. And we need to maybe, I don't want to reduce civility in society, but maybe don't put politicians on such a pedestal. They all put their their pants on one leg at a time, too. You mean that then people would make business decisions for business reasons instead of political reasons? Wow, bite your tongue. Imagine a life <laughs> like that. And, of course, as I began our segment by saying that Ireland is probably one of the strongest economies in the world right now because they're doing, Nick's our work, what you just said and what libertarians would say of reducing those sorts of things. So what are the Libertarian Party's problems today? We, we talked about branding, but uh, there are some, and you mentioned earlier that, uh, yes, we are on, we can't say routinely 50 states on the ballots on each state, but, but pretty close. But what are some, uh, when I was running in 2012, the the Republican Party, as I understand it, went around the country trying to kick the libertarians off the ballots and were eventually successful in 2012 in uh, Oklahoma and I think in Ohio. But uh, that was because they brought various lawsuits for various reasons. But we have to be facing these things all the time, are we not, for various other parties trying to, in effect, put obstacles in our way of being on the ballots? Absolutely. Uh, the two old parties know that they're selling something that people really don't like, and they're only selling it through fear that the other one might be worse. And so the last thing they want is competition where we provide a better alternative. And so they will cheat with both hands and use every legal tool and a couple illegal ones to stop us from putting our, our candidate on the ballot. Um, when we get 50 state access in 2020, we will be the first political party in this country to have 50 state access where every American gets to vote for our presidential candidate twice in a row in over 100 years. It's, it's an amazing feat. It took decades of activism from lots of great libertarians to get us to this point. But at that point, you remove one of the excuses. They're going to see our candidate next to the president and whoever the Democrats nominate, and they're going to have that choice. We can't make them make the right choice, but we can make sure that they have the option. And then it's just a matter of we have to give them an alternative that is so clearly better and different that they don't even fall into the trap of 
is the Republican worse than the Democrat or vice versa? And I think the way we do that is we talk to the issues that neither the Republicans nor the Democrats will be talking about or dealing with in this coming election. Issues like free trade, issues like the war on drugs, issues like the $22 trillion national debt that both parties just agreed to raise by another $2 trillion. Those issues resonate with Americans who are not being heard right now, and we can build a coalition of these groups that are not being heard by the two old parties, and that's where I think our next success is going to come from, from the ability of us as a party to get to working together on a common purpose without making everybody agree on everything all the time. And Nick, these wars that were going on all around the world, certainly Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, I was running for office at the time that we were thinking of going into Iraq and said, if we go into Iraq, it'll be the biggest mistake of my lifetime. And nothing has happened since then to change my mind, or change my mind. But the debates are so key because if you're not in the presidential debates, you're not considered to be a viable candidate. And of course, the two political parties know this. And as you know, we actually, the Libertarian Party and the Johnson Gray uh, campaign brought a lawsuit against the so-called Commission on Presidential Debates, which is there's 10 commissioners, five are high-ranking Republicans and five are high-ranking Democrats. And the uh, for some reason, they only invite the Republicans and the Democrats, and, and that's a conspiracy against America from my standpoint. It's, it's good bipartisan for them, but it's terrible politics and terrible for our country. So we need to spread that word that the American way is to include, in, for example, in the presidential debates, any political party that's on enough ballots technically to win the presidency. Now, we're on in 48 or 50 or whatever, so we would certainly qualify. So would the Green Party, by the way. They're on about 40 states, so we went to bat for the Green Party as well. But the criterion should be that instead. You know how hard, Nick Sarwark, it is to get on the ballot in any state, much less enough technically to win the presidency. Are we still pursuing the debates locally for local offices as well as for state and federal offices? Because the debates are key. We absolutely are, and our special counsel, Oliver Hall, uh, has done great work in the 16th cycle and the 18th cycle. Um, the Federal Election Commission has pretty strict rules for how a debate staging organization can decide who to uh, include. And the way they do that is a debate organizer has to have predetermined objective criteria for who they're going to invite and who they're not. So they can say, you know, we're only inviting a candidate who's on the ballot or we're only inviting a candidate who's raised $10,000 or whatever. But it has to be ahead of time. What they can't do and what a lot of TV stations try to do is figure out which candidates they want to include and then create a standard where those are the only ones that come in. And we've had some success with that, but the, the sad truth is the Federal Election Commission and the various state elections uh, regulation bodies don't have a strong incentive to even enforce their own rules because it would hurt Republicans and Democrats, who are the people who appoint them to this commission. And so you have the watchers being watched by themselves, and surprise, surprise, you get really bad outcomes from that. And I think that's the part that we need to 
help people understand. And in some ways, I have to give credit to the current president for helping with this, you know, because a lot of people who used to talk about things like confiscating guns, when you point out which president would be confiscating the guns and who that president's likely to take them from, you get people scratching their head and going, wait, maybe this isn't a great idea to give government this kind of power over our lives, even if I think it would be a good idea what if a bad person has control of that power? What would happen then? And that kind of, that's the, the awakening moment for a lot of people where they stop voting Democrat and Republican and start voting Libertarian for the rest of their lives, is they realize that we need structures that work well, even if the right people don't get elected. Well, Nick, you, you mentioned various things and, and the, the, results that are unintended. Uh, I mentioned when I'm talking against drug prohibition with great frequency that, look, the government should have as much right to regulate what I as an adult put into my body as it does what I put into my mind. It's none of their business. And of course, the difference Mm -hmm. is once if I put some mind-altering substance into my body and then I drive a motor vehicle, that's different. That should be a crime because now I'm putting other people's safety at risk. But if I put in, you know, I'm scared to death of methamphetamines and never used any of that stuff. But but if I were to choose to do that, I'd be harming no one but myself. It's not the government's business. And we have just reflected so radically toward intrusion of government into our lives, personal, corporate, business, anything else, that, that we've just going the wrong way. And I believe, and I say publicly, that the Libertarian Party is the only mainstream party in the nation today. That, uh, you know, and the Republicans, Democrats are very, very much alike in so many ways. Like you said, you know, yes, they bring, they take our money and they give it to different people, but they sure give it to a lot of people. And it just depends which people you give it to. So the Libertarians are really the, the party in the mainstream. Have I convinced you? I, I am absolutely convinced, and I think the way we convince everyone else is we really do the hard work of stepping back and asking people what it is they want. So your methamphetamine example is a great, a great example. I represented a lot of people who were charged with possession or distribution of methamphetamine, and for the most part, they all didn't have their lives improved by using meth. It wasn't good for them. It wasn't helping them get better jobs or, you know, it's not a great drug, but none of them got any better or got any farther along by being in jail or prison. It didn't end up benefiting them for us to spend, you know, almost a hundred thousand dollars a year to lock them in a cage. That didn't fix the problem. And if we can start these conversations from what problem do we want to fix? What is the shared concern? We can, we can get people to step back and say, hey, the thing the government's doing right now isn't getting us there. So at least we can get them to the point of what we're doing is not working, and then we have a chance to convince them that the libertarian way is going to be more successful. Well, we are so polarized, and one of them is because of, of course, money, because government is money. Another is the... Uh, uh, 
crony capitalism and that, that we get into that the libertarians would not do. But another one also is gerrymandering. And, uh, you know, that we have the winning party after the after the census, being able to draw the district lines for members of Congress, and of course, for some reason, they draw it for their own favor, and and they really impedes the one man one vote rule or one person one vote rule, uh, and it is controlled by politics. In fact, Nick, I have written a musical recently with two other collaborators called Convention: The Birth of America, and it's about the Constitutional Convention. So I'm really in touch with the founders and the rest of that. But there was one of the delegates was named. Elbridge Jerry, and afterwards he ended up in state government and was able to manipulate the boundaries of the, the voting districts such that gerrymandering is actually taken after Eldridge Jerry. So he lives on in infamy in, in a lot of ways. Uh, gerrymandering is something, in my view, we it has to be done. It probably should be done by a panel of retired judges or some people like that who don't have any vested interest in doing anything other than and trying to do it as fairly as possible, getting it away from politics. I think the Libertarian Party would institute something of that kind uh, and would rally for it. Your thought? Yeah, I think um, having districts that are compact and uh, designed according to where people live and not what people's voting habits are would make for a much more sensible politics. When you have the people being elected get to decide who votes for them, you can put together a district in which you never have to do anything because the, you've built such a structural advantage that you can't be defeated without you know, literally going to prison. What we have in our country right now is kind of a combination of we have the worst of both worlds because if you want people to be represented based on their beliefs, based on their politics, then you can have what the Europeans have, where you have a parliamentary system. And because there are over half a million registered libertarians in the country, we would get, you know, three or four members of the House of Representatives. And that kind of representation can work. Or you can have this first past the post, where, you know, whoever gets over 50% plus one or over 35% plus one or whatever gets to get the office and, you know, the losers get nothing. If you do that, you really need to have districts that reflect the, the spectrum of the community. Otherwise, people feel disempowered, right? I lived in a district in Maryland that was so heavily Democratic that there was never a chance of anyone else getting elected, and I wasn't a Democrat, and I felt like my voice wasn't heard. So I think calling for, you know, I prefer a, a mathematical model using mapping services that just tries to make the district compact. And then that doesn't look into what are the voting patterns. It doesn't try and game the system. I think you have to take that politics out of it if people want good representation. And that's where I think we start this conversation is, you know, the states that have nonpartisan districting commissions get better representatives and the people who live there feel more represented. Well, Nick Sarwark and all of you out there, I have a news flash that I wish to pass along to you. It's breaking news. Uh, at the end of the last segment, I mentioned that if you're interested in figuring out where you are in the political spectrum, go to the website isidewith.com, the letter I-S-I-D-E-W-I-T-H.com, and at the 
at the break, my producer here at Voice America Network said that uh, he was going to take the test. So I asked him to let me know after he'd taken that test. He just has, and he says he is 73% libertarian. I venture to say that people who are listening to our voice, or even not, if they were to go to isidewith.com privately and see, you're going to be surprised how libertarian you are. And you're going to see and probably agree with Nick Sarwark and me that the Libertarian Party really is in the mainstream of American political thought today. I will again quote Thomas Jefferson on this subject, who said that every generation we're going to need a bloody revolution to keep the special interests at bay. Well, fortunately, our United States Constitution can give us that revolution without it being bloody. But how long has it been since we've had a political revolution in our country. Uh, Nick was just saying that, you know, there's been no political party that's been on each of the ballot for uh, all states for two elections in a row. Probably the last revolution we had was when the Republicans took over from the Whigs back in the 1860s, kind of a long time ago. It's time to clean house, to kick out the dead wood, to get rid of the the crony capitalists and the vested interests, bring in a fresh approach. So that's my, that's, I'll get down off my soapbox just a little bit, but imagine how refreshing that would be. Nick, you, you not only left the practice of law for, for, small business, uh, and you are the chair of the Libertarian National Committee, but you also ran for the mayor of Phoenix last election. Tell us a little bit about that, maybe some experiences. What did you learn from it? What can you pass along to our listeners? Yeah, um, so we had a special election for mayor. Our mayor retired to uh, go pursue a congressional seat and ended up winning it. And there were two Democratic council members, uh, myself and a Republican, who all ran in a nonpartisan election, uh, which was nice. When you're in a nonpartisan election, everyone knows what political team you're part of. The, the news makes sure of that. But people actually listen to the issues. And we got to have, I participated in 17 debates, and I had to miss the 18th one I was invited in to because I had a speaking engagement. And my campaign manager reported back to me, because uh, he went to the debate, that the other three candidates had a much better time that night because the issues like the pension crisis where we can't afford to pay the obligations we made to city employees uh, that were made uh, with just some bad judgment or the roads or, you know, the way that Phoenix police is not accountable to the community and the rise in police shootings. They didn't talk about those issues because they didn't have to. And so what it showed me firsthand is the value of having a libertarian in a race is that the issues that aren't being talked about get talked about. You force them to deal with what their policies are not doing. And it comes back to, you know, when you were talking about the debate commission, they don't mind whether you vote team red or blue. They just don't want you to be part of another thing. It's like, The NFL doesn't care if you like the Cowboys or the Giants. They just want to make sure you don't start watching soccer. And libertarianism is just so fundamentally different that that's the wake-up moment where you realize that this is just a different kind of politics. But the other thing I noticed, you know, it's not purely libertarian. We would use economic development in Phoenix where big property developers would get huge tax breaks and give back a little bit of it in workforce housing subsidies. 
And I did the math, and instead of giving an $8 million tax break to a developer to do a million dollars worth of subsidies over, you know, 10 years, why not just leave them at normal tax rates where they pay the same amount of property tax as any other business and just give the million dollars directly to people, and then you have $7 million more million for the schools and the roads? It's not purely libertarian, but it's that place that you can start agreement with people who may not agree with your political philosophy by just saying, look, government's doing this really inefficiently. If you really want to pay for teachers to be able to live in apartments downtown, just give them the money. It's way cheaper than trying to do this weird change their tax rate and then they'll do something and we'll do something. And, you know, that kind of stuff is, is all over the place where government's just created, they, they've done what Harry Brown used to talk about. They've broken your leg and then they've offered you a crutch. Take them out of that cycle and just get back down to the basics of what it is that we all agree government should do and not try and have them do so many bad things. Well, the, re- the, the fact of life is that in politics, reality is irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Reality is irrelevant. It's only the voters' perception of reality that counts. And all the politicians know this. They don't want to take on the hard issues like like the deficits because they'll just kick the can down the road and let somebody else worry about it. The way our system is set up is that politicians do not care about the future. They only care about the next election. And that's kind of where we're, where we're facing. We need fresh minds. We need fresh approaches. We need to have competition more in our political system. We're, we have one triumph that I can mention quickly here in California, Nick Sarwarka. You swore in Jeff Hewitt in Riverside County to be a member of the new Board of Supervisors. I bet that was fun because Jeff's a good guy. We're going to have him on a future show, by the way. That was an amazing experience. And the way he's taken on some of the problems that every other politician wants to avoid, it shows people that libertarians, by our nature of being concerned more about people than our own personal power or who we can give favors to, can actually solve some of these problems that fundamentally Republicans and Democrats are incapable of solving because they're just using the wrong tools and the wrong approach. And they'll never be able to. And I think as the two old parties keep shrinking down and more and more people choose not to associate, we may be close to that tipping point, like when the Republicans displaced the Whigs, or like the day in 89 when the Berlin Wall just suddenly fell and crumbled, you know, with people just taking it down. I think the American people have a lot more power than they know, and it's our job to help them understand that. Well, if you're going to discuss issues, real issues, critical issues, like the pension, the uh, the inflated pensions for public officials, the deficits for our country, in fact, I was interviewing a man who was a former ambassador and a member of the State Department with our World Affairs with our World Affairs Council, and asked him, what's the biggest security threat to the United States of America today? He said, it's the deficits. Our Politicians are not talking about this. All the wars, the failing schools, our failing medical care system, uh, the cronyism, etc. So look into iSideWith.com. 
I, I recommend it. I think you'll be gratified and surprised at the results. So yes, life is complicated, but it can be made an awful lot more straightforward, understandable, productive, using libertarian approaches like we've been talking about here on this segment with Nick Sarwark, the Libertarian National Committee Chair. So this would benefit us all. And just understand that if you have responsible leaders that are not discussing these issues, that means that we're they will exploit them. If we, as the voters, don't look into them, we get the government we deserve and look at what's happening right now. So often the politicians will set us off against each other. All rise will bring us together. So please tune in again next week. We are Americans all. We are open to free, full, honest discussion, pulling people together for the common good. And when we do this and in this spirit, we will all rise together. So I'll talk to you next week. And this is Judge Jim Gray saying thank you and life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my thoughts that help us control.